Audio wrangling is a sister site to audio angling, which allows people with angling and related topics to express them freely, as an insight into what some of the issues were in the early part of the 21st century. My name's Phil Williams, and this is a 2014 recording with Tim McPherson. The Angling Trust burst onto the scene a few years ago, proclaiming itself as an old singing, old dancing umbrella organisation that would both unify and care for all aspects of angling in the UK, from grassroots to government level. Now I know that you enthusiastically play quite a major part in both promoting and bringing the organisation into that role. But enthusiasm is perhaps not the best word to describe the way you view the Angling Trust in 2014. So, tell us more. Concept of the Angling Trust is for an organisation that can represent all of angling in one, people say a single voice, but in one voice. That was the concept. There were, as you know, a lot of different organisations that were involved in various bits of fishing. The main ones, the ACA, which was the Anglers Conservation Association, the NFSA, and I think there were a couple of other ones, I can't remember now, it's so long ago. Personally, as an, an angler, I never got involved in any of those organisations. In fact, I wasn't a member of a club for many years because I didn't need to be. But there was nowhere to go when I was worrying about conservation issues. And when I heard about the Angling Trust, I thought it was just such a good idea. It was a, the first time that somebody had actually spent some time thinking and working on something like a body that actually represented anglers, like Basque does for shooters or the AA does for drivers a representative body. It was such a fantastic idea. And, and then I discovered they were looking for somebody to run their marketing communications. It was like the ideal job for me, which is why I went there. And one of the bitterest pills that I had to swallow was when I got made redundant. It's not a sob story, but it's relevant because the organisations that made up the Angling Trust were run by, basically, a bunch of incompetent old duffers. And I, <laughs> I met a lot of them, and I was really quite shocked when I started working for the Angling Trust and meeting these people, how utterly incompetent most of them were and how completely... I mean, I'm talking about NFSA people, NSA people, and I won't name any names because, you know... But even some quite respected people I came across, and I thought, my God, the wonder anglers is in such a mess, you haven't a clue what you're talking about most of the time. And, of course, anglers have little obsessions, don't they? They get obsessed with certain parts of their... Which is fine, but there was nobody, apart from... Mark and Mike Healing and one or two others who saw the bigger picture, Mark Lloyd, who seemed to see the bigger picture, and that's why the whole thing seemed such a good idea at last. They could sweep all these old duffers away and get on and build a proper organisation. And <laughs> that was me and my optimistic days. And then, of course, it has proved incredibly difficult to make the Angling Trust work. I mean, I don't think anglers really understand the amount of work that Mark Lloyd and the some members of the board have put into this. It's quite incredible, and I don't know, sometimes I wonder why they bother, because they get such a lot of stuff thrown at them, quite unjustifiably. I mean, I remember somebody came up to me at some fair or other and started going on about how Mark Lloyd was dry, and you and Mike Halen and other people were all dry. Oh, no, it wasn't Mike Halen, he wasn't the chairman in those days, it was somebody else. But anyway, you're all driving around in company cars earning 100 grand a year. And I just thought, what? <laughs> and it was at that point when I started hearing those things. And then the resistance. I joined the trust and as a, an employee and started talking to the media. And I was really shocked by the negative attitude I was getting back from the magazines at uh, Bauer and 
not quite so much at David Hall Publishing because he was quite supportive and so was Sean O'Driscoll, but they weren't particularly helpful as a group. And in particular, the Angling Times and the Sea Angler, I was really quite surprised about how deep this antipathy went and I couldn't really understand it. Anyway, so one of the reasons that I mentioned the, what happened to me at the start was because these organisations were telling the Angling Trust that they had loads of money. <laughs> And the ACA, the Anglican Conservation Association, did have quite a lot of money because it had a lot of wealthy benefactors and it was basically mostly engaged in conservation work in trout and salmon and on some of the rivers in the west of England, like the Wye and the Usk. And there were a lot of wealthy people who put a lot of effort and time and money into it. And the other organisations had nothing at all, but they, they were so incompetently run that they didn't realise this until it came to the point where they had to actually hand over the cash and it, there was none left. In fact, one of them had a deficit. <laughs> and maybe my standards were too high. I've been in boardrooms in media companies, and I mean, there are some people in there who should, maybe shouldn't be, but it was just the lack of understanding of basic business. And I'm not talking about Mark and people who are working for the Angling Trust. I was talking about the, the affiliated organisations that are joined and some of the people who are on the board. The whole concept of the Angling Trust, it's such a no-brainer, and yet... So many, in particular sea anglers, seem to be very resistant to it. They seem to have this idea that the Angling Trust is there to persecute them. And I can't understand this. I just cannot. There's no, the evidence just isn't there. I mean, even bearing in mind the nature of sea anglers, I think that they're, we like to go and wander off on our own and go fishing. So we can be quite solitary people. I just couldn't understand this sort of, negative attitude and I still can't really and so I've made it my business to try and change it and I regularly pester Mark Lloyd and <laughs> David Mitchell environmental pains manager with ideas and general sort of stuff about how we can change people's attitudes and that's really one of the things that I want to do I want to get sea anglers to join the angling trust and trust the angling trust which I think is the most important thing in your opinion then what has fundamentally gone wrong with the Angling Trust? Well, nothing. I don't think anything's gone wrong with the Angling Trust itself. I think the Angling Trust and the people within it, uh, including myself, overestimated how quickly we could recruit sea anglers. We didn't give them enough, still not giving them enough reasons, I don't think. And that's another reason that I'm doing what I'm doing in Sussex, because well, I felt that if we could create something here, which was a model about how you could get sea anglers involved then it might work nationally. And, you know, I think it is working because the idea is not to create a committee and have a chairman and a structure. It's to, it's to get a bunch of anglers who care together and let them do something that they care about. And so that's what we're doing. And that's where the Bream campaign came from. We've launched a series of angling matches. I mean, I'm not a match fisherman, but it, it is what people want to do. Some anglers want to do matches. So we've organised a series of matches called the All Sussex Shore Championships. We're also involved in trying to persuade councils to fund signs to go on the beaches, telling people about minimum sizes, telling people, particularly anglers who come and fish in the holidays or just do it casually, about, about not taking too many fish away, not taking undersized bass away, identifying fish and all that kind of stuff, so that there's a kind of code of conduct that they can adhere to. And I've had lots of stories about anglers saying they've challenged people who were taking fish that were too small or they were taking too many of them and they and some of them have been subjected to physical violence and they felt 
that if they had something behind them which they could use as an authority, even if it's just a sign with the Anglian Trust name on it, then it might have just help them to be able to handle these people better because they could show them what this code of conduct was. So those kinds of things we're doing, we've got fishing days, we got the Mullet Club to organise a fishing, a masterclass which was very successful, attracted about 25 anglers. We're going to do four more this year. And the most important thing, I think, is getting kids involved. We've been quite successful at in Sussex. There are more people than you think, sea anglers, who want to help get kids into their clubs, but they don't know how. They don't know how to do it. They're frightened of the CRB thing. They're frightened of doing it wrong. We are giving these people the tools, with the help of some of the paid employees at the Angler Trust, to set up youth clubs. We've done it very successfully at Bexhill. We've got 25 young kids who come along twice a month to fish down there. Uh, the Eastbourne, they do it with something called Fish for Kids. We've set up a whole series of coaching sessions at Shoreham Port, where we get lots of kids along. We did two last summer. We're doing four this year and four boat trips as well. So that's something else that we can do. It just means that sea anglers can see that somebody out there doing something to improve their sport, whether it's, as I said, campaigning, coaching, competitions, or sort of information, or just general backup. We organised a beach cleanup last week on the Cookmere after the storms. Got a load of anglers down there with the help of World Sea Fishing News, the WSF site, to do stuff like that as well. And that gives anglers a good name. The thing about sea anglers, they've all got different drums to beat, different things they're worried about. They've got different things that concern them. And you go and you put a bunch of anglers in a room, they'll all come out with something different. And I've done this exercise in Bexhill, I've done it in Shoreham, I've done it in other places around here where I've had meetings with anglers, Hastings. You ask them what their concerns are, and you're, you're there all night. I mean, there's just so many different things that they want the Angling Trust to do. And I don't think it's feasible. I think the Angling Trust should concentrate on doing... We need to give them a reason why they should join, which I don't think we have, actually. <laughs> I mean, we are trying. But I think, you know, I mentioned earlier, coaching, conservation, and competitions. I think those are three things that the Angling Trust could concentrate on in sea anglers. I've been on and on at the board, on the Angling Trust, Mark in particular, about why is it that there's only one person on that board who's a sea angler, and that person who's a you know, great person, but isn't really tuned into sea anglers and what they want, I don't think. I don't want to talk out of turn, but why hasn't she got somebody else helping who's got to focus on something different? Another aspect, because she's a coach, basically, that's what she does, and she's very good at it, but... She's the only person, and it's crazy, it's madness. And he and one or two others on the board have promised to address this, the new chair in particular. Then they say things like, evolution, not revolution. As far as sea angling is concerned, the angling trust doesn't do something, not dramatically, but quickly, to address this, then we're never going to be able to convince them. And that's something that I'm really concerned about, and I'm banging on the door about constantly. What's the answer then? Well, I think we could recruit far more sea anglers. And if we recruited far more sea anglers, well, just take one step back. There is going to be a licensed system for sea angling at some point in the next 25 years. Probably sooner. It's going to happen. Every other country has it. America and France in particular do it. And their recreational angling, particularly in America and Australia, they have a very robust recreational angling representation because of this money. And the key thing is, the licence money, it goes straight back into conservation or management. And if a politician can be brave enough to come up with, or a, an authority can be brave enough to try it, 
and see if it works, pilot it, could be very important. Now, the reason I mention that is because the Angling Trust benefits from rod licenses on freshwater fishing. There's an intrinsic connection between Angling Trust membership and rod licenses because the money that the EA get from rod licenses goes back into fishing and some of it goes to the Angling Trust. And I think the same model could be applied to sea angling, whereas sea angling licenses, some of that money would be given to the Angling Trust to do things that anglers want them to do particularly in conservation and coaching areas, and maybe competitions too. And it would reduce the requirement to charge sea anglers 25 quid a pop. You could reduce the membership, increase the membership numbers dramatically, because a five pounds is much less of an issue than 25 pounds, for instance. That's one thing that the Angling Trust could campaign on, but they're just not prepared to, they're not confident enough to do that at the moment. They feel that if they said we should have licenses, even though if you behind closed doors they all accept it's probably going to happen, they won't say it out loud because they fear they'll get completely destroyed by a, a small number of very loud voices. I don't know what you think about this, Phil. What do you think about that? I recently did an audio angling interview with Cathy Barcourt, the Florida Fisheries Commissioner, and you wouldn't believe the resources they have at hand. I think it was something like 600 armed officers with full police powers. Link this to the quality of fishing they manage over there, and for me, licenses can't come quickly enough. But, as with the Americans, it would mean every single penny generated going to those that enforce whatever structure they ultimately put in place. My fear, however, is that unlike America, which is a standalone country, the UK being a part of a federal system via the European Union, we could never put in place laws robust enough to achieve a top-class fishery, as other EU states would see it as their right to come in and scoop up all of our fish. Well, that's exactly what I feel, and it has to be completely transparent, and we have to say, OK, for every pound that's spent on a licence, 100% of it goes back into some form of angling, either subsidising coaching, subsidising conservation activity, subsidising management activity, or turning the angling trust into some sort of quasi-regulatory body that could manage this process. I agree with you entirely. Yeah, but it would need to be policed properly. Yes, well, I agree, yeah. And that's, again, you see, this is we, we at the Angling Trust, has been trying to introduce voluntary bailiff schemes for sea angling, and it's proved incredibly difficult because they've got no authority. I mean, the bailiff system for the freshwater one is, works better because they have the authority of the, of the EA behind them. But we don't at sea anglers. And they had a conversation with the IFCA about it here in Sussex, and it, they couldn't really get any anywhere with it. But I agree with you. That's where some of the money would go, but not all of it. For every pound, you'd have to divide that up and know that coaching, helping sea angling clubs coach kids and get the future of our sport sorted out, conservation activity, campaigns. I mean, if we had money, proper money, to spend on campaigns to change opinions, I mean, here's an example. I want every angler in Littlehampton and Shoreham to write to every IFCA member about Black Bream. I haven't got any money. I can't help them do that. I just have to rely on them doing it. I can write a letter for them, which I will do, and send it to them so they can use it. I'm not saying money's the answer, but if we had some kind of financial, however small, budget to be able to do a campaign, it would help, whether it's printing letters or running websites or whatever it As long as the money is identified transparently and you can see where it's going, then it could be sold to anglers, but it's going to be a while. Meanwhile, 
the IFCA enforcement officers should be out there checking anglers and anyone else who either works on the shore or comes in aboard a boat to send out the message of constant threat that they could be being watched. But from my own experience, both as an angler and as an IFCA appointee, I know that they won't. So who is there out there to stop people doing whatever they want? Can you imagine that here? It would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, the IFCA, Sussex IFCA should be doing that. And they're kind of getting the message that, about recreational angling. But you see, this Sussex IFCA has got two recreational anglers on it, and they, with greatest respect to the two guys who are on it who work really hard, they chose those two because they felt that well, they deliberately didn't choose people who expressed a strong opinion about how fisheries should be managed, i.e. me and two other guys, Reg Phillips and Simon Flint. And Simon Flint had been working on the Sussex Sea Fishing Authority for five years and they saw him as a troublemaker, so they didn't have him. And they've got five commercial representations on the IFCA. And I think that's absolute madness when you think of the money that anglers bring in it just doesn't work, and that's got to be changed as well, but that's a different issue. We are scheduled for someone from CFAS to give a presentation on the Sea Angle in 2012 at our next meeting, so maybe the message will eventually get across to the commercial reps a little clearer after that. Actually, I'll tell you what, in, in advance of that, um, I don't know if you've looked at the results, but one of the things that I, I mean, I think the whole exercise was brilliant, and I thought the results were great, and it really gave an angling a boost, but there was one thing about it which I really couldn't understand. They're claiming based on their numbers, that recreational anglers catch half as much bass as commercial fishing, even though we put half of it back. I mean, I just can't believe that. Look at the figures when you see the presentation. They'll have it in the presentation. You might have changed it now. But <laughs> I didn't know where they got the figures from. And Mike Armstrong, he was a CFAS guy who was overseeing it. He couldn't really explain it. He just kept saying, well, those are the numbers. Well, you know, but anyway. <laughs> have a look at that and ask questions about that, because I think that particular part of it, in terms of total catch of bass and cod compared to commercial fishing in Britain. I just don't think those numbers work. So what's the future then for the Angling Trust? Well, it much depends, certainly on the seaside, because the freshwater side, I think, is much more robust in many ways. On the sea angling side, I think the future is dependent on them getting a clear offer for anglers. I don't mean a financial offer. I mean convincing sea anglers that the Angling Trust can really work the sort of work that I'm doing with the guys down in Sussex hopefully will help that process because if we get what we want in Sussex with our bream campaign and the ultimate would be a no trawl zone three miles out we'll have done it because of the angling trust's ability to bring people together and that would be a fantastic example to other people of what angling trust can do so if we can pull that off then that would be fantastic the future of it I'm I wouldn't like to look into my crystal ball. We need to recruit more sea anglers, and that's the bottom line. But it doesn't seem to be too popular with the types of people who frequent forums, though. I've got no truck with these people who go on World Sea Fishing News and other forums and just slag off. I mean, one of them accused me of being a self-appointed Hitler or something. And it was like... I, I, I used the word, a phrase like that, and I just said, look, I'm not self-appointing anybody. I'm just doing something. Don't criticise people who do stuff because, you know, we're the guys who help. and That's what I really can't cope with. But actually, I think they're a very small minority and I'm really surprised over the number of meetings I've held in Sussex how actually these people, they are, most of the anglers, quite well disposed towards the Angling Trust. It's just very difficult to persuade them to give us 25 quid. 
It's not that they don't like the Angling Trust, it's just that we haven't given them a good enough reason for, <laughs> for them to part with their hard-earned cash. I mean, I came up with a campaign very early on when I was at the Angling Trust, which, ha which basically was a folded-up £20 note, because it was £20 in those days. And we folded it up into the shape of a fish and photographed it and did this ad campaign, which is basically, what's your fishing worth to you? Which I thought was really clever. And it worked for the freshwater anglers because they could see the benefits, obviously, but it didn't work for sea angling. We might revisit that one. I wish I could do that trick myself. <laughs> well, it was quite cute, wasn't it? You know? But, um, yeah, it was, it was nice. We got a, an origami specialist to do these. There were lots of different ones, origami fish. And um, it was quite well executed, the graphics on it, but um, we ran it for a couple of years, but didn't attract any seeing. <laughs>